0: Hello, and welcome back to the One Football podcast. Myself, Matt Froelich, are joined today by Dan Burke. Hello. And Lewis Ambrose. Good afternoon. It was a weekend of goals, excitement, and most of all, touchline bust ups, which I'm absolutely delighted to get into. Uh, Dan, we're going to kick things off. How much is too much? RG Bargy? <laughs> That's is, that is a question for me. Was there should there have been more punching allowed, or did they overstep the line in uh, Thomas Tuchel versus Antonio Conte?
1: Well, I mean, it was all very funny, wasn't it? I had a great laugh sitting on my sofa, uh, a little bit hungover on, on Sunday, watching that unfold. But uh, you know, I think those two guys watching that back will pre- probably feeling pretty embarrassed, or at least should be. It was all all very unedifying behaviour. I mean, th- these are people's actual dads that are getting involved in this kind of thing. It's all a bit all a bit pathetic, wasn't it? Really, I mean, uh, I'm not sure what the the dispute was to begin with. When um was it when Tottenham equalized the first first time it sort yeah, of up? It sort of, he was giving it a bit of a big end to, towards Tuckle, and uh, and then at the end, obviously, the handshake was was pretty ridiculous as well. I mean, Tuckle, I, I felt like he was the sort of aggregator, the main one there. He sort of he strikes was the sort of person who would have like a dispute with a neighbour over like a tree overlapping onto his property or something like that. You know, <laughs> he's that kind of guy, isn't he? He seems like and that that handshake, it was all very sort of performatively offended uh, yeah. at the end. But I, yeah, like I say, I enjoyed it very much. I just. Uh, I just feel a bit embarrassed on their behalf, really.
0: Yeah, what did you think, Lewis? Were you? I, I there's as an Arsenal fan, sort of saying, you know, what? Well, let them go at it. They've both dropped points. You're a happy <laughs> days for
2: you. Um, I mean, I'd rather see Tottenham drop as many points as possible. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I sort of thought. I could sort of see a little bit more what Tuchel was getting at. It's all obviously very embarrassing, the pair of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess Conte sort of kicked it off a little bit, celebrating in his face with the first yeah. one. And then, yeah, like at the end there where it's a bit like, well, if you're going to shake my hand but not look at me, does the handshake really count? And Tucker obviously <laughs> took offence to... You know, I, I don't know. How do you disrespectfully shake somebody's hand, I guess, <laughs> by... Surely not he's not the
0: first person to not look at them. It, you know what it all reminds you of? It's when you're like your brother or your mate beats you at FIFA <laughs> and they just, they wind you up that little bit and you think, fucking, he should have rise to it. And he did. Tuchel's blood was boiling, obviously. And he, he just, he was literally looking to pick a fight. I, I wonder if Conte had been like the most polite person ever, like shook his hand, you know, curtsy and a bow, said thank you very much for a nice game of fives. Sounds like Antonio um, <laughs> Conte. <though. laughs> yeah. yeah, but like if he'd have done that, Tuchel probably still would have found something to argue about.
2: I don't know. They were maybe obviously both just fine. They up. both they both played it down as well, didn't they? After the yeah, exactly. After the final, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson for all of us is maybe we should just follow their lead on that and. <laughs> And and like that sort of it, it, leave it on the pitch kind of
1: thing. At the moment, yeah. Did um uh, did only Conte get a red card at the end?
2: No, they both got it. No, I think both only, got it
1: right. The
0: cameras caught only Conte's, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think they both got it. I don't quite know how the managerial fines work. I, um, bands, even I think it's just one match. I one believe. match. Uh, Obviously, um, Tuchel should have just yanked at his hair instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. Well, we'll get onto that actually because. <laughs> I wanted to ask you two, before I sort of weigh in with my own potential bias, even though I like to think I strayed towards the unbiased section, I'll ask you two about the the decisions leading up to both Spurs goals. So, foul or no foul on Kai Havertz from Bentancourt? Lewis, kick it off.
2: Nah, that's not a foul.
1: Dan? It looked like a foul, but... I think there is enough sort of plausible deniability that he he just got a toe on the ball that you could say, like if it was given as a foul, no one would have complained, but you could also say it wasn't a foul. So, and so much happened in between that, that instant and the goal going in, you know, Jorginho having the chance to clear it for starters that I don't really think, I think it was a bit mealy mouthed from Chelsea to blame that really.
2: Was it no. like 45 seconds or something? Like yeah, how- Jesus. You can't go back that far, surely. You, you,
0: can't, you can't go back that far. And I think, I can't remember who was said, I think it was one of the referees who was sort of analysing it afterwards, said that basically it's a complete non-existent decision if Spurs don't score. Mm. Like, no one, Like if it goes out for a throw and you don't go, well, hold on, let's take a look at that. Like, you know what I mean? Like he either got the ball or he didn't. But you're right, from Chelsea's point of view, 45 seconds later, and this is what I'll come to with the, the second one as well, you can't you can't just sort of down tools and stand there and go, well, it doesn't matter what happens now. Game's mm. ruined because that was a tackle. <laughs> like, you've got 45 seconds to play on, you know? Yeah. So
1: I'm not... I think it was only Havertz sort of going crazy at the um, the, the referee's assistant that made it an instant at all, really. I, th- I don't think anyone else really thought that much of it, did they, really?
0: Yeah, and, and I saw Tuchel afterwards saying both goals oh, should have been disallowed as a foul on Havertz, unless, for me, that makes him look worse. If he's seen it... He's a very bad judge of football, which I don't <laughs> think he is because he's a football manager. And if he hasn't seen it, he shouldn't be commenting about it in, a, in the post-match press conference.
2: So I think, well, but I don't we, know. The managers just do this all the time anyway, right? Yeah. Right? He
0: should have gone full venger and said I didn't see it. <laughs> that was that was the classic line. Um, for the second one, though, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this apart in two sections. Is it a red card for you, Dan? Pulling someone's hair, Romero and Cucurillo.
1: I don't think so. I don't think it should be anyway. I mean, I don't want to see players getting the the hair pulled all the time. Um, although I, I do enjoy the uh, the Louis van Gaal clip that's been going around on social media <laughs> yeah. today, the uh, sex masochism uh, clip. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't think it should be a red card necessarily. It's obviously pretty naughty. Um, but what I didn't understand was if it's why, why was it not given as a foul? Like surely it could be a foul, but not a red card, and then I think, you know, well, I think Chelsea got the free apparently...
2: kick. They can only do something about what yeah. is a red card, can't
1: they? Yeah, yeah, which just doesn't make any sense to me, really. But
2: yeah.
0: So this is the kind of points that I wanted to break down. So because it wasn't deemed a red card offence, they can't do anything because VAR can't retrospectively give free kicks and yellow cards?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Well, okay. Also, because
2: it doesn't directly lead to the goal, right? Because then it's a second corner. Like it's all it is is a corner. Like if Spurs <laughs> had scored from that corner, then
0: yes, then, then I there was get a foul, it.
2: Foul, then they could have taken the goal away. But because it was a second corner um, that, that then came in afterwards, there was there's like a break in play, I guess, and nothing you can do about it. That's that's the kind of bit I didn't
0: understand. At least back to the first point of Chelsea had 45 seconds to defend the goal. The same thing happens here. Like you can't just not defend a corner and then go, yeah, but someone pulled his hair in the action before.
2: No, but you'd be defending a corner against ten players instead of eleven, which is a bit, of, you know, that, that's, a bit different. That's a fair point. If the
0: red card, that is a fair point. But also, you can't draw an immediate connection between the two. Well,
1: if they sent him off, the corner doesn't even well, happen, does it? Surely then, then it's yeah, a free kick like... and then, it, then the game is is over. Um, so I can understand why why they're annoyed by it, but like, I just think again, it's a little bit like. It's an easy, a very convenient excuse, I think. Yeah, for me, it's
2: for me, it's definitely a red card. By the way, like to like that's so premeditated and so sort of. Uh, oh, I don't want to use like too strong. It's, it's kind of vicious to me mm. like to to yank at someone's hair, like when they've well, especially when they've got long hair as well. Like to get a real handful of chunk of someone's hair. I think that's so painful and so like premeditated. The. Yeah, like to me, that's on par with you know, like spitting in a player's face or like the opposition player's face or something like that. Like that's yeah. just really, really nasty. I think if he'd have Ram- grabbed Romero, Ram- Romero sort of kind
1: of there. dances on the line of of what's kind of acceptable behaviour and what what isn't. And I think he's just yeah, he, he stays on the right side of it more often than not. But now and again, you see him doing stuff like that, and you think oh... Da-
0: dances is a fine choice of words there. <laughs> <laughs> dances on the line, I think bends it. That would yeah, be better. But if he pulls his shirt down, no one would say red card for just yanking Kaká down by the shirt,
2: right? But then you're not, you're not, tu- you're not even touching the guy physically, are you? Whereas, like, yeah, like, that's maybe. just not the same thing. Like, yeah, it, it comes mean, into like, the, like, the to, sort of
1: violent condo- conduct arena. This doesn't it?
2: Then? Yeah, like to take it to a different extreme, I guess. Like, you wouldn't put shirt pulling in the same category as as when Luis Suarez bit. Branislav Ivanovic, like obviously, a ha- I think pulling the hair is obviously somewhere yeah. in between those two things. But pulling a shirt and like physically grabbing someone or doing something to their body, I think is is a different kettle of fish completely.
0: I saw um I saw Joel earlier in in, in the one football newsroom, but we were discussing: is it fair to have a rule that can't be applied to everyone because not <laughs> everyone's got long hair? <laughs> Because imagine if it was like what would somebody if, think of the baldies? Yeah, exactly. Imagine if there was a bald player and Romero was like picking a two millimeter hair on his head.
2: Well, I <laughs> it don't would think ridiculous. Could, I feel like this is verging into Cucurella victim blaming. blaming. <laughs> no, like he can have fault, long hair it's all his fault he likes. For having long hair, Christian yeah. Romero just yeah. can't help
1: himself. He yeah. I think I, every player's going to start growing their hair long now. To yeah, make this it is what I mean. Easier to, to, to be try fouled, and get fouled. Yeah. Uh,
0: or a manager would Paul demand Aaron's that role. everyone, everyone, yeah, everyone has a shaved head. It'd be a, it'd be a nightmare for the commentators.
2: But that's the thing, though. It's like no one made him pull his hair just because yeah. he has long hair. Like that's That that, that would be madness, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it is just a bit mental to me that you can pull someone's hair, like yank them down to the ground and yeah. not get sent off for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think inside the changing room, obviously, you know, this is Tuchel doing whatever after the game, complaining about this, that, and the other. I think there probably will be a sense from Chelsea they did let that slip as well, being in, in front twice um, and just, yeah, not really switching on. I know that a red card, they would have been defending against one less person. Um, it's a great ball in and you've got to defend better than that, I guess, in the very last minute. With one set piece. Um, I am not completely wedded as a Spurs fan, even though they obviously got away with a point. I'm not wedded to the idea of getting points out of crappy games is good enough over the course <laughs> of a season.
1: Do you know what, Matt? I was going to ask you this. Was the was the, the celebrations a little bit much at the end for you from, from Spurs? Because it was like they'd no. won the game. and t- I was like, did I miss a goal here? Are They were in 3-2. Like The way they um, were celebrating was like they'd won.
0: I mean, I think it was more of a realisation of we've been so crap and still got away with the point.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly don't mind any of that stuff. Yeah, like it, it's
0: a London derby you, as well. You're playing a
2: derby away from home and you score a last minute equalizer, it feels like winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, exactly. It, you know, I know they, who the
0: happier the two fans were leaving the stadium.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess that's the other side of the coin as well. Like Chelsea fans going home yesterday would have felt like they'd
1: lost. Yeah. yeah. sorry, I'm a bit a bit celebration police there, aren't I? I apologise. So. Yeah, oh, bloody hell.
0: Can't we just have any more fun, Dan?
1: <laughs> well, it's uh, it's one win in thirty eight for Spurs at Stamford Bridge now, Matt. So
0: Oh yeah, we'll keep that ticking over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly wonder what happened the next time the next time Tottenham win. It just I can't I can't imagine it. Anyway, there was um uh, a bit uh, from Carlos Lopez, who wrote into the podcast. Of course, you can get involved as well by emailing us, podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, Carlos said there's a weird conspiracy that Anthony Taylor costs Chelsea points every time he refs their game. I, I looked at that quick stat, and last season he refs Chelsea six times, and there were six victories for Chelsea. <laughs> so <I> co- <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Carlos said that. There was conspiracy saying, Anthony Taylor costs this, costs that. Um yeah, there were six wins out of six for Chelsea, so they can't claim that. And uh, on the other side, he took charge of Spurs four times last season and four wins for Spurs. Um, so something I had to give yesterday. Either way, um, like well, the
2: idea, like that—that that it was Anthony Taylor. That I'm not saying that he did like a perfect job or anything, but that it was him specifically that cost Chelsea somehow. When, like, if you want to argue with the first goal, that there's maybe I think an offside. Is, oh, I was going to come back round to that. What do you think? well, well, I I think it's probably offside, but I also just like, why are people blaming Anthony Taylor when there's VAR? (laughs) Yeah, true. The the offside decision, he he wasn't told to go and look at it on the screen or anything. And then the the hair pull, again, it it happened and yeah, it was in front of him, but it's a corner and there's a lot going on in the box. And then again, they didn't tell him to go and have a look at it and, and see if he wanted to change his decision. So I don't really see why either of those decisions are his fault and not and that sort of anger is not being directed elsewhere.
0: Because there's no really, There's nowhere to direct it to. This is why I think football, right, when there's not a referee on the pitch and everything's done from a, a VAR room or comes up on the screen would be hilarious because you'd have fans and players being like, ref, ref, where, where, where is he? And you wouldn't even know which direction to shout at. You'd just be shouting randomly at nobody if there wasn't a ref <laughs> on the pitch. It'd be really funny to watch. <laughs> like, and that's, I think the thing is everyone's kind of, It's more what Anthony Taylor symbolises than what he's actually What does he symbolise though? Why
1: why, why would he have an anti-Chelsea agenda? What logic would there be behind that? Not
0: at all, but I'm saying for the fans of Chelsea, he symbolises the establishment. Yeah,
1: Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Well, the thing about Anthony Taylor is that he's from Manchester. He's from Withingshaw, where I'm from actually. Uh, I know for a fact that his family are Manchester United fans. He claims to be an Altrincham fan. He might well be an Altrincham fan. I'm not going to dispute that necessarily. But the big conspiracy theory about him is that he's a Manchester United fan who hates Liverpool. Hate City, City fans hate him. Liverpool fans hate him. They all think he's got an agenda against our clubs. I just don't think he has. I just don't think he's a very competent referee. To be perfectly honest, I yeah, think yeah. he did okay yesterday, yeah, but yeah,
2: that 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 might just be the problem, Dan. Is yeah, Anthony Taylor. That might not be the best referee in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, everybody feels hard done by whenever he refs their games. Mm. Yeah, I I I also think it's a bit,
0: maybe even a bit um self self. What's the word? Self-obsessed to think that the Premier League come around and sit and talk about your club and yeah. how much they want to screw them over. Get over yourselves, guys. There,
1: there was a Twitter thread of some Chelsea fan, like, putting out all the things that Anthony Taylor had done that, to wrong them over the years. And one yeah. was, like, some 1-1 one, one draw with Southampton from seven years ago. And someone was like, <laughs> go outside and get some fresh air, for God's sake. Like,
2: <laughs> By the way, if anyone, find, if anyone does find that Twitter thread, he's... The whoever's tweet is included a picture of Emmy Martinez handballs outside of his box in the FA Cup final two years ago, and then a picture of Emi Martinez catching the ball while it's in the box. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the level Love of conspiracy it. we're talking about now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Everyone says swings around about, so I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can't help but. Uh remember Thiago Silva feigning injury when Harry Kane scored at Stamford Bridge last year. So who knows? Maybe these things take a while. I'm not here to push any agenda. I'm just facilitating the conversation. Uh, But talking of Anthony Taylor's favourite team, Manchester United, maybe he was just pissed off after watching Saturday. Taylor was like, you know what? The football world has wronged me. I'm going to cause havoc. (laughs) Chelsea Spurs. Um, Dan, you took a particularly keen interest in this game in what was... It felt like a seismic shift old Premier League to new Premier League on the anniversary <laughs> of the 30th year of the Premier League.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll caveat everything that we're about to say about Manchester United here by saying that I do believe that Eric Ten Hag is a good coach and I think it is very, very early days for him and I think, you know, there is plenty of time for him to turn it around and, and perhaps he will turn it around given that time. But, like, this was... You know, you thought, the, you thought the Brighton game last week was bad. Yeah. You thought the Brighton away game last season was bad. This was probably, you know, the worst of the lot. This was, I think I said on the podcast last season, actually, that the, the Brighton away defeat last season was the yeah. worst performance of the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era. I think this one was even worse. And I was thinking while while watching this game, I don't know if you've ever seen that film, um, The the Aristocrats. Not The Aristocats, not to be confused with that.
0: Oh, I like that film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Aristocrats is a film where uh, loads of different comedians tell the same joke, and they all have different details to it to make the joke uniquely funny each time. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. And you you think, how could the same joke be funny over and over again and keep getting funnier, and yet somehow it does? And that's kind of Manchester United in the past, like, 10 years. You just think it's got as funny as it can possibly get. It can't get any worse. And then somehow they just keep digging themselves down into this this hole even further, and yeah, I mean, I unfortunately I, I had to go to a, a friend of ours wedding, uh, so I only missed, I only saw the first half. I missed the whole second half of this game, and, and thankfully there were no more Brentford goals. But that first half was just like I was on the floor at times. It was it was ridiculous.
0: And just schoolboy error after schoolboy error. Yeah, I, I don't. There was just sort of small things like Luke Shaw not being goal side of the mm. Buemo for the was it the third goal, the fourth goal. And just just getting a run on him, and you're two versus two at the at the back of a corner uh, on the on the when you're trying to uh, when you've got an attacking corner, just common sense. Have one more back than you need to. Yeah, there was really seemed to be a lack of cohesion in that team, and
1: yeah, well, we felt, we uh, spoke last week, didn't we, after the Brighton game about saying maybe he needs to needs to drop Eriksen a little deeper, yeah. someone who can take the ball off the goalkeeper and and sort of distribute possession like that. Like really
2: shouldn't give it to him when somebody's right. Yeah, yeah, backside. true. That's it.
1: <laughs> And there are, I think there are like quite interesting parallels between Ten Hag taking over at United this summer and when Guardiola took over at City. And of course, everyone knows one of the first things that Guardiola did was identify that Joe Hart wasn't up to the task of being able to play out from the back. They signed Claudio Bravo. That didn't really work out. They corrected the mistake by signing Edison the following summer. And I think like they've got to realize that David De Gea played out from the back is not going to work. So you either get a new goalkeeper or you. You find a different way to play because it's just not going to work, is it? At the same time, I do think like that was a pretty a bit of a hospital pass to Ericsson but I think Ericsson could have done a little bit better with it as well. Um, but it, it just felt like to me that we should be looking
0: at it. It was almost the stupidity of it; like it didn't work before. Yeah. They messed up before, and they got away with it. I think there was a free kick given away, yeah. and then the goal happened from the exact same movement. Like, at what point do you put it into the player's brain that? That, sorry, that you charge the players with saying, guys, you're professional footballers as well. If something isn't yeah. working, right? Change it up a bit. Go along once or twice. Don't keep doing the same thing. And I think this is where, at Lewis, you could probably play the devil's advocate here and switch it up and give us all the Brentford praise. because I thought you were going to say defend David De Gea. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I sort of, maybe not devil's advocate, maybe gave us the opposing view that Brentford were clinical with it. Brentford saw, you know what? They're going to keep pissing around with it at the back. I might as well push Eriksson full on here and see what I can get. And there you go, you get a lovely goal from it. But I think massive credit has to go to them. Yeah,
2: like a mix of clinical and and a little bit of luck as well. Because obviously the ball the ball still has to bounce your way. Yeah, I think you saw Old Trafford the week before. Brighton had a couple of similar situations to that second goal uh, on Saturday. And I think Trossard especially was, was pressing up high on, on, I think it was Fred last week, playing in that position. And the ball was lost, but just didn't quite bounce for a Brighton player and, and United could could clear it at the second chance. Uh, or the ball bounced out wide and, and Brighton then had to sort of build an attack from a different position instead of just picking up possession straight in, right in front of goal. So Brentford... A little bit of luck. Also, just watching the game last week. I think I saw Ben Mee speak about that uh, after the game and say we saw the way that they played and they struggled with this last week against Brighton. So we made the decision, as a or the coach or as a team, um, to press high and make sure we were putting pressure on there. You know, the front two were great. I think uh, uh, Tony especially at forcing the ball into that position, just sort of covering Maguire and covering a possible pass out to right back and forcing De Gea to... Either choose between kicking long, which with Brentford playing with three centre halves, I don't think United were ever likely to win that ball very often, um, or try and keep playing through somehow. And as Dan said to is not the he, he's not the level of goalkeeper with his feet like when we watch Edison or whoever else in the league that looks that comfortable. And you know, watching match of the day, Alan Shearer or, or Michael Richards, I think pointed out. Even just his first touch, it sort of closes off so many angles to play the ball out to the left or to the right. And Ericsson, if he doesn't want to go long, Ericsson's the only pass that he's actually got left. Mm. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a number of things I think with United. Uh, yeah, the quality of the players is another thing. I don't know how many, how many years is it now since they signed a central midfielder? Like Fred and McTominay mm. are still going in there. Matic was there for a few years and is obviously gone now and they've not signed anyone. Now Eriksen's playing in a position that he is obviously an incredibly talented player, but he's playing in a position that he's never, ever played in before because he's always played further upfield and he's got the defensive ability to play in that role in front of the back four. So you've got this situation and yeah, Brentford, massive credit where it's due, just took full advantage. They pressed United high, they put them on the back foot, they never looked in danger. They got a bit of luck with De Gea messing up with the first one, but they created their own luck as well. They were clinical. The The fourth goal was brilliant. The third goal, I think last season you saw, they were great at set pieces and hmm. that conversation about Lisandro Martinez and, and how he's going to do in the air in the league. And he was right below that ball that Ben Mee ended up ducking
1: to... <laughs> Lord yeah, I bet was lying yeah. down by the time he scored pretty yeah. much. <laughs> Honestly, this still... M-
2: M- is on the line wondering if he can... <laughs> yeah. it. Like, it, was, it, it, looked, it just looked bizarre and everyone looks out of sync. And the problem is for United, I think the biggest problem, that this is just not going to change overnight. This is going to take years. It's going to take three or four or five transfer windows until that squad looks good enough. Because right now you look at that team and... I mean, as an Arsenal fan, Matt, you're a Tottenham fan. Would you take any of those players to get in your <laughs> side? I don't think I would. Yeah,
0: no. Not at all. Not at all. Not even Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's, you know, that says something. By the looks of it, no one's taking him. <laughs> but no, I couldn't imagine. So it, it, he's also very, uh, what we are talking about, sort of switching things up. Even a long ball to Cristiano Ronaldo, he's not that type of forward either. There's just, no, they seem to be, everything seems to be a dead end for United. And uh, I... I you know, scrolling through Twitter and seeing many people revel in it. I don't always revel in the downfall of clubs, but this certainly feels like a win for every kid who went to school in the 90s. <laughs> like every single kid who just had United mates at school, just rubbing it in their face. I assume, Dan, you probably got the worst of it.
1: Believe me, I did, yes. Yeah. So and yeah. I, I never thought I would see this day and, you know, yeah. it was, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying every second of it because I... I'm- like I said, I, I, I thought it peaked with David Moyes. And when you think about it, the David Moyes season wasn't actually that bad yeah. <laughs> like compared to some of the ones they've had since then.
0: And they've won an FA Cup and a Europa League since then as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, blimey. Right, we'll touch on one last game in the Premier League actually before we go abroad. And, and Lewis, before we come to, I'm sure, your glowing review on Arsenal, Dan, I have, I have a quick question. Mm. Um, are you annoyed or wondering almost where the hell was this Gabriel Jesus last season? <laughs> Because maybe this negates the need for Haaland. I mean, not that Haaland's a bad signing, obviously.
1: No, it's a weird one, really, because I I don't think his quality was ever really in doubt or his talent wasn't in doubt. Like, the problem with Jesus was when he came to City, Aguero was there and there was kind of no usurping Aguero the whole time he was there, really. He was always going to be the main man. And Jesus played like second fiddle to him. And then when Aguero left, he kind of got that chance to stake the claim for that position and didn't really take it. But it was a little bit of a a weird season for City anyway during that, that time, um, and he never really had sort of a good run in the team in that position. Whenever he played, he was good. You know, even if he played out wide, he, he was always good, very committed, like good quality and, and good, good application. So I was, I was very curious to see how he would do at Arsenal, uh, with a running team, playing it, playing in, in the, the position that he kind of wants to play. So far, so good. Um, i I've, honestly like feel feel happy for him like I, I hope it works out well for him there I'd just be interested to see whether he can sort of maintain that consistency throughout the season but that first goal at the weekend was brilliant wasn't it and you, you see that Fantastic the, the other stuff he's doing off the ball as well it's just yeah he's, he's, a, he's a very good player and I'll be very interested to see if he can go on and fulfil that potential because I would have loved to, loved him to stay at City but I think as soon as Haaland came in the writing was on the mm. wall for him and for him wanting to play like it made sense for him to leave totally so yeah good luck to him
0: Lewis, is that is that where Arsenal have got it right or Arteta's got it right? The simplicity of the decision, just Jesus, you're a central striker, you come to Arsenal, play in the central role, link up with the rest of the the, the attacking threat. It was it was an obvious piece of the puzzle, and the, the simplicity of his positioning is is key.
2: Yeah, I think especially when you think of Mikel Arteta obviously knows him so well and, and worked with him for, for however long at Manchester mm. City as well, so he knew exactly what he was getting, whether it was fully formed or untapped, he knew the player that was arriving and, and what he could maybe do with him. So, yeah, I think like Dan said, but just that word or phrase main man, I, I think I can make a massive difference, especially for attacking players. And mm. it, he looks like someone who knows that he's now one of the most important players at the club and that he's really thriving with that responsibility. So, I, yeah, I'm obviously delighted. It was, like you say, it was a no-brainer for Arsenal. Arsenal needed a striker and Gabriel Jesus was available, a guy who knows the manager, knows the exact type of football Arsenal want to play because it's always going to be very similar as long as Mikel Arteta is there to what Pep Guardiola demanded for, or demands from Manchester City. So it, it just made complete sense, Not a, not a crazy fee either. And he's come straight in and you're not worrying about whether or not he's going to have to figure out the league or if he's physical enough or if he can handle the language and change of scenery because he's done all of it years ago and got used to life in England. So, yeah, uh, it, was, it was an obvious choice for Arsenal. I still think they'll be very, very pleasantly surprised with how quickly it looks like it's working out perfectly.
0: Um, and actually, talking of Arsenal and Dan, your team Manchester City, let, we're going to do a little bit of a haggling here. <laughs> I want you two to pretend that you're both sat at the conversation table talking about Kieran Tierney. <laughs> what are you bringing to the table, Dan? And what are you ho- what are you holding out for, Lewis?
1: What, in terms of transfer fee,
0: yeah, in terms of a transfer fee, yeah. Uh,
1: he's probably worth about fifty million, isn't he, at this point? Whoa, would you
2: go that yeah, high? Right, I'm done. Yeah, take
1: that and
2: walk away. I mean, if oh, if, if
1: Kukurea is worth sixty-two million, then surely Turney's worth yeah. Like I Yeah, when you put part. it like that. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's. I think the biggest thing with Kieran Tierney and Arsenal and why Arsenal probably would entertain, I don't know, maybe not this summer because it's not long enough now probably to, to replace him if he mm. left, but Alexander Sinchenko obviously come in and started both games and looked really good at left-back. So I don't know if Kieran Tierney will be first choice anymore at any point this season for Arsenal. And even when he is you're just waiting for him to get injured and, and miss a couple of months. And I think that's a really, really massive issue for Arsenal. It has been the last couple of seasons that got to sort of March and April and the season's been derailed by losing Kieran Tierney and not having a proper backup at left-back. So to not have to worry about that anymore is massive for, for Arsenal. And I I wouldn't be stunned if he was actually sold next summer as when there's time to, to replace him at left-back. Right now, I guess there's a couple of weeks left in the window and you'd be cutting it a bit fine. Um, But yeah, after all of the injuries, it it just hasn't quite... When he's been on the pitch, it's been great for the most part, but it just hasn't quite worked out the way that I think everybody would have wanted.
1: Yeah, I don't don't think you are going to get anyone this summer now anyway. I think they've done.
2: Well, Yeah, we spoke very
0: briefly, Dan, didn't we, the other day, about that Sergio Gomez from Mm. Anderlecht. Not quite... I wouldn't say quite first team level. If if you wanted him, you you would would have stuck with Zinchenko. Well, I
1: think I think they get they want to get someone in who will be quite happy to not play many games this season now, and I think that mm. was maybe the thing with Kukureo. It was like, well, are we going to spend sixty million on a guy who's going to be second choice? It seems a bit bit daft, really and maybe they'll reassess things next season like but, but that's kind of hoping that Cancelo never gets injured which is which was fine last season but you know it's probably going to catch up with him eventually.
0: I mean to be fair Chelsea've done the same they've spent 110 million on Cucurella and Chilwell and one of them's going to sit on the bench. Yeah, true. Yeah. So yeah. um Lewis last touch on Arsenal Ben White at right back I mean it's obviously not ideal with Tomiyasu injured or I think, he was on the bench against Leicester I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tomiyasu. Um are you convinced about Ben White a right back or is that more of a um, more of a need of Arsenal's in the last few weeks so it's obviously difficult to get it done late on?
2: No, to be honest I think that's another one where it's worked out really well now to have William Saliba so last season obviously Arsenal were playing Cedric right back when Tommy Assel was injured and the, the difference in level was so clear to see um, and you don't really get that with Ben White who I think had a Solid first season last year and has and played it right so far, the first couple of games this season as well. I think, you know, something Arteta spoke about. And when you mentioned Cucurello, obviously being linked with City, Tierney, similar in that way as well. Like, the, it's so crucial, I think, for some of these managers to have players who can play in multiple positions or, or slightly different positions. Um, You see that, obviously, Arsenal this summer. Zinchenko, Gabriel Jesus can play out wide. The players they've targeted have generally been players who can play in multiple positions anyway. And I think Ben White falls into that category. Arteta talked about him playing as a right-back, essentially, at Brighton in a back three and and shifting out to the right flank for them uh, before Arsenal signed him. So it's not completely alien to him. It's basically a back three anyway with, with the way that he plays. And then you've got Saliba and Gabriel and then you've got Sacker on the right and, and Zinchenko tucking into midfield from the from left it's not really you know him playing as a left back so i think it's quite a natural position for Ben White and Tommy Yasu is also a fairly defensive right back who, who won't get up and down and, and won't offer too much in the final third so to have players and again you know compared to Cedric last season or when Tierney was coming out and you're playing Nuno Tavares or at times even Granit Shaka at left back, it just to have those options that don't mean the way the whole team has to change is really, really good. And I think we're already this early in the season seeing the, the benefit of that. Arsenal, sort of that bad run last season, kicked off, that lost fourth place, if you like, kicked off at Crystal Palace with. Um, with Kieran Tierney out on the left and with Tommy Asu out on the right. And now we've played two games this season, played pretty well in, in one and really well in the other one. Without Tierney and Tommy Asu, those injuries aren't killing the team anymore.
0: Absolutely. And you wanted to take us as well, Lewis, abroad to a bit of an interesting game in the Bundesliga this weekend at newly promoted Werder Bremen. I believe newly promoted? Hosting Stuttgart in a 2-all draw, including a last-minute equaliser from, unbelievably, Oliver Burke.
2: <laughs> honestly, would you believe it?
0: I, 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 honestly, the last time I heard he was at Sheffield Wednesday. Or was that me making that up? Uh, United.
2: United. Sheffield yeah. United, even. Oh, I've just pissed yeah. off both sides of Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Right, talk us through this one. Well, yeah, just um, this one and and Schalke, Borussia Mönchengladbach, as well the other promoted sides. So mm. both promoted teams played at home this weekend and, and both scored incredibly late equalisers to draw two all, um, having both been one 0 up in the Bundesliga. I just think it's always a really good thing for a league when when the promoted teams come up and hold their own and look like they're going to be able to hold their own for for a whole season. So yeah, Preman. Went one up really early. I think you know for anyone interested or anyone who wants to keep an eye on the Bundesliga a little bit this season, they have in in Nicholas Fulker and Marvin Ducks a really really interesting and, and complementary front two. They've got a really good coach as well, uh, Oliverna, who was at Holstein Kiel for a few years before and twice nearly took them to the, the Bundesliga for the first time in their history. Playing good football, playing you know pressing high but keeping possession and and really trying to build from the back and. Players popping up in different positions, really fluid. So it'd be really interesting to watch to see how Bremen get on. It's like, it's been a big boost for the Bundesliga to, I think, to have two massive clubs who were obviously relegated the season before come straight back up. It's always nice to see those big names and those big clubs sort of where you think they belong. So yeah. And, and then on the other hand, in this one, uh, like you say, Bremen 1 0 up, went 2 1 down, scored in the last minute, but, playing against a Stuttgart side who nearly got relegated themselves last season, but another one who's really, really interesting to watch as a you know, as a, someone who enjoys like the tactical side of the game. And mm. I'm really glad that they've stuck with, with Pellegrin and Matarazzo. Even though they nearly got relegated last season, they, they had a horrible time with injuries. I think one of the most interesting players in Europe the year before was was Silas um, Mvompa and he was out almost the entire season. I think he played sort of seven or eight games, almost all of them from the bench and and didn't score a single goal last season um, after doing his ACL. So, you know, he's, he's back in the side. He, Started both of the games so far this season. He scored to put Stuttgart two-one up at the weekend, and there's yeah a lot to watch from both of these sides. I think as the as the season goes on, it really could be anything for either of them, and and for Schalke as well uh, in that other game that I mentioned. They could mm. end up in a relegation battle. They can end up very comfortably in mid-table, um, and yeah, it's going to be. I think it, it's shaping up to be a pretty unpredictable season in the Bundesliga if you ignore first place. And it always be, comes with that nice caveat, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it'd be nice to see how how all yeah. of these teams do because I think they're really interesting and, and there's a lot of talent there. Uh, sorry, go on, Dan. I was just
1: going to say what I um, well, I enjoyed a, f- a few things about this game. The the full Krug header for the first goal was fantastic, like it was, a, yeah, it was like a, a header that was like a shot. I really enjoyed it. And um, the endo shot for the sec for the, the Stuttgart equalizer, the first one was great, and um. I love the fact that the commentator, the German commentator pronounced Oliver Burke's name correctly because I've obviously have the same name. And uh, whenever I go to like the doctors here or I get an appointment, I get like a a parcel or something like that, or I have an appointment for anything. I always get uh, Borker, people say it, and I've just, I've just sort of embraced it now and just even started saying it myself when I go into like a doctor and say, oh, Daniel Borker. Um, so I'm hoping that if Oliver Burke has a successful time at Bremen, he'll become like a household name in Germany and then people will learn how to spell the name properly and I'll I'll get my name said properly. That'll be nice.
0: Oh my God, that is the best reason I've ever heard to like <laughs> randomly support a player. That is, yeah. That's my fingers, unbelievable. My fingers are crossed for you. More for you Thank than you. for him, but
2: yeah. my fingers are crossed either way.
0: <laughs> unbelievable. I did also see in the Bundesliga uh, uh, this weekend that Jamie bino gittens grabbed his first goal for Dortmund. Um, it just seems like Dortmund pop up with more English players than English clubs do. Uh, Absolutely <laughs> bizarre. They seem to be just sniffing around Manchester City's training ground as I believe he's another City yeah. uh, product, a bit a bit like a Sancho. Um, it's weird how having a player like him be the next big thing makes Bellingham then sound old, <laughs> which then makes Sancho sound old. But all of them... But, like 23 and under, I think Bellingham
2: was only 19,
0: right? And I think bynoe
2: yeah, Gittens Be- is 18. Bellingham's 19. <laughs> the bynoe Gittens turned 18 at the weekend, so he was 17 when he scored. Uh, oh on, my god, on Friday night! And Yusuf and <laughs> Makoko came off the bench and scored for Dortmund, also 17 as well. So I uh, think Jude Bellingham posted, tweeted after the game, um, like that his a picture of him, like grinning, jogging away from them, celebrating the goal. It's just Makoko and, and Bino Gittens mm. in the background and he tweeted like, my son's delivered tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 19 years old. Yeah, That'll, um, that'll make all of us feel very, very old. Oh and they, they've my got uh,
1: Uncle Anthony Modeste up front now as well, haven't they? Of course. Oh, so.
2: yeah, they yeah, really getting that age average yeah. right yeah. back up again.
1: I like to think. Yeah, happy with that signing, Lewis?
2: Um. I think Dortmund would obviously put in a really awful position with everything that's happened with Sebastian Haller and having paid over 30 million um, all in for Haller Mm. there obviously wasn't money left to go and sign somebody else so to to pay a few million and and get somebody again who knows the league and has you know scored 20 odd goals last season and Modeste obviously isn't the guy that Dortmund won, and I imagine he'll come out of the team and, and share that role with with the likes of Makoko or maybe Daniel Marlon as the season goes on but to be able to sign someone with a bit more experience than those players for a few million this late in the window I don't think you can complain really
1: yeah I think it's a really good really smart move yeah
2: it's 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 got a bit of a better
0: Braithwaite deal feel to it Yeah, you know, that was a bit that was a bit last-minute difficult for Barcelona
2: a few weeks ago. I mean, few, it's the sort
1: of thing that Man United are struggling to, to sort out, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jamie Vardy nice being United. linked today, you see that?
2: It, oh. It's a little bit Odio yeah. Nogalo, maybe, for me, yeah. <laughs> Um going to United a couple of years ago.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Blimey, that was... Uh... That still is for United, such a bizarre position. We said it on Thursday, if they'd have actually sorted sorted it out, when they signed a Gallo, they would have signed someone proper
2: for the future and now they'd have him. But they don't, yeah, anyway. They went and signed Cavani instead. <laughs> exactly. And, and then Ronaldo. Yeah, you'd, you'd think there'd be some <laughs> deeper long-term thinking there at some point. Maybe, maybe Dan, you could go to United
0: and say you're the lesser-known cousin of uh, Oliver Burke.
1: Yeah, I could do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just this,
0: this, this German Burke, nothing to do with Burke, <laughs> and uh, that could be you. Anyway, we talk I, w- to I would ourselves? never
1: play for Man United, Matt. You know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, that... I, I love the idea that Man United would sign Dan because he name-dropped Oliver Burke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cousin, well, happened... more talented cousin. It <laughs> happened with uh, what? What was it? Was it? George Weir? Is that Ali Dean yeah. for Southampton?
1: Yeah, George Afton? Weir and. That was George not Weir. Quite the same thing <laughs> <Yeah.
2: though.
1: laughs> was not yet,
0: not yet. That was David Weir's brother, George Weir. This all <laughs> gets very confusing. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll move on to some transfer topics now. Um, £40 million pounds for Anthony Gordon. Seems a little bit uh, expensive. I think he's a very good player, actually, for Everton, and would probably benefit from staying there at least for this season in the Premier League. Um, Dan, is that a good amount <laughs> of money for Chelsea to shell out on a player who'll probably be on the bench?
1: I mean, I, I like the look of Gordon. I don't like his new hairstyle very much, to be to be quite <laughs> honest with you. But that's that's up to him, isn't it? But yeah, you I, have I think what he said
0: about yours. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I think I think
1: he's a a decent decent prospect, um, and I think you know. 40 million, wasn't that being quoted from Morgan Gibbs-White last week as well? Like, oh God, yeah. The, the game has gone mad, hasn't it? Like, I mean, I remember when City signed um, Robinho for 32.5 million. I think that was the uh, the transfer record broken. I'm thinking that was like an obscene amount of money and now that's pretty normal, isn't it? And and 30 million soon became the new 40 million and 40 million, uh, 50 million soon became the new 40 million and it's, uh, it's just getting out of control, isn't it? So 40 million for a player of kind of his potential seems probably about right in a perverse kind of way. I I, I think
2: Everton should take it and not think twice. Yeah. I I, I think he's fine, but even when you talk about potential, Everton really need players who can deliver goals and assists and and change games like right now. Um, I know obviously there's that sentimental value of, of the homegrown kid and stuff like that, but... Everton don't have anyone who can score goals. You can't trust Calvert Lewin to stay fit. I, to me, it's like so insanely sentimental if they if they turn this down and and you know I'm sure that they'll turn it down and Chelsea will come up with another bid. Um, but I would not understand it at all if they if they think that Anthony Gordon's going to do more for them this season than what they could get with 40 million pounds.
1: Yeah, I don't really um, see why Chelsea would be interested in him either. I mean, I know he's he's yeah. a That's decent player, but they, thing, yeah. they seem to have like four or five players like that.
2: Well, they want to get what
1: rid of they?
0: Pulisic and Ziyech, apparently. But
1: why? Like, I don't know, <laughs> but why yeah. just keep them? <laughs>
0: yeah, they have a lot more experience than Gordon, so it doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, and they probably they probably end up spending more than actually maybe not. You'd have to hold out for a lot, though, for Pulisic and Ziyech, because they bought them for quite a lot of money. Mm. Um, I think combined almost 100 million euros, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, was, I was watching Mason Mount yesterday and thinking he's sort of tailed off a little bit, hasn't he? He's not really sort of mm. hit the heights. You know, there was a couple of years ago and it looked like it was sort of him and Foden were on the same level. I think Foden's, Foden's quite a lot better than him nowadays, uh, a lot more effective anyway. And then, yeah, Kai Havertz, so I'm not really sure what, what he is supposed to be at the moment. Is he a forward player is he had more of a attacking midfield player a bit of a, a bit of both really but yeah i don't really see what gordon adds to that team that they don't already have yeah
0: mm-hmm. it seems a bit unnecessary um talking of uh bizarre transfers the latest one is that nottingham forest are in for hussein awa <laughs> um i i don't want to disrespect him or nottingham forest but you know he had pep guardiola singing his praises a few years ago and a big move to arsenal on the card so how's this happened
2: as far as Arsenal go, it sounded like that they didn't have the greatest time chatting to his representatives. I don't know if it's right. his brother who, who's his agent. Yes, I believe um, it is, yeah. yeah. And, and that definitely soured any chance of a move. The question is for me, like, is nobody bigger willing to sort of, even if you're worried about that side of things and if you may be worried, I don't know if there's reason to be worried, but if you were worried about, I don't know, fitness or his attitude or anything like that, like, would it not be worth the risk for for a pretty small fee and and really like Forrest are the only team willing to to take that risk that's that's the bit that confuses and surprises me
0: yeah like it, it just sort of seems like like uh, like Liverpool um like Liverpool did with a Luis Diaz deal you know with Tottenham sorting it all out is that once it's all been sorted and you know how much our <laughs> wants and you know how much Leon are willing to accept it's kind of free reign for any team to go on you know stick your hand up like at an auction yeah, come on. We'll throw our name in the hat as well. Like again, it's no offence to Nottingham Forest um, at all. And uh, by the way, we'll throw in a good win at the weekend over West Ham. I just, you're right. It doesn't quite make sense. I expected Newcastle. I expected Newcastle to go. I oh, got 40 million. It's not much to us. <laughs> he looks like a good player. We'll throw something in there. But worked out last time we took a player from Leon with Bruno Grimaldi. So why not?
1: I don't know, that was a little bit odd for me. They'd be very uh, unexpectedly sensible, aren't they, Newcastle in the transfer yeah, market? Yeah. Seems, yeah.
0: Do something stupid, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back Rubinho. You've got you've uh, got two weeks to make fools yeah, of yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I mean a are saying we'll we'll buy any player in the world. Like we're, we're open to yeah. we're in the market for anyone, really. Like
0: were they, were they signed, is it was it Freuler? they signed from Atalanta?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: yesterday. Which which is a very good signing again. May, maybe it was a kind of him or our mm. in, in, in that central full position. I don't I know. Think I just... think they've
1: made some good signings. Um, yeah. But I just wonder if they've made too many signings, really. And um, where are they getting this money from?
0: <laughs> well, that, that's the thing there. Obviously, just going big and banking, they'll stay on the Premier League. Yeah. And get some of that, that, that you, sweet you, sponsorship nectar.
2: At what point do you start to worry about that as well? Like if mm. they get relegated, the. All of these players are gonna to have to be sold. Like they're all yeah. on massive wages. There's no way they'll be able to pay them if they if they get relegated and lose obviously all of that marketing deal money and all of that broadcast money. Like there's no way Forrest will be able to pay any of these players. Yeah. So yeah.
1: it's very well, Leeds United under Peter Ridsdale's type of vibes. we lived the dream. It? Yeah. We enjoyed yeah. the dream,
2: was it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but I think Burnley have slightly shown that it can be done. That They obviously got relegated, offloaded Pope, McNeil, Tarkovsky and Maxwell Cornet in the same summer. Um, those, from what I've heard, are the four biggest earners at the club. Um, that's probably also why they got rid of Daesh as well because I think he was on a fair whack per week. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Like, there's no way next season that you're going to be able to recoup, I don't know, let's say 40 million for Hour or something like that. It seems like... Might be a bit too much. Uh, well, lastly on the transfer topic, so it's not even a transfer topic. It's the Ballon d'Or, which was announced on Friday evening. Are we all in agreement that Messi is rightly not included in the top thirty, or is that still a bit harsh? Dan, what do you think?
1: Probably a bit harsh, but like the top thirty players in the world, like how do you really categorize? Yeah, without like, or goals and assists.
0: You you can't the quant- yeah. quantification method isn't really there.
1: Yeah, it seems it seems like, was Ronaldo in it? I think Ronaldo was in it, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ronaldo was in it. yeah. I mean, the whole circus around the Ballon d'Or is ridiculous, as, as we say quite often. And the fact that mm. there's probably one guy who can like realistically win it this time around, isn't there? And, this, and yet they've still gone through this whole let's do a countdown of the top thirty nominees. It's just all a bit like whatever. <laughs> okay fine yeah. maybe maybe they didn't include Messi just for, to make a bit of a headline and make it a bit interesting or something maybe there's there's actual that like, kind of motivation going on with these things it's all just a bit like oh god Lu-
0: Lewis is it like the massive end of an era or are you just sort of a bit like meh whatever <laughs> I
2: think that I think that era ended a few years ago really yeah. didn't it like Messi was still probably a couple of years ago um, the best player in the world but he was the best player in the world by such an enormous margin before that, and then the last few years it's actually been a bit of a discussion. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think we've been sat in the same era for a few years now. Anyway, um, probably since Ronaldo left Real Madrid, um, probably going back yeah, sort of four years to when that mm. happened, since that sort of duopoly was was a little bit broken up. Um, is he in the top thirty players in the world? Yeah, uh, I mean, if Rafael Liao is then, like, no offence to him, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if he is, then yeah, I'd still rather take Leonel Messi. Um, but also, like, yeah, just to echo what Dan said, it's sort of, it's a big shrug of the shoulders from me. All of this stuff.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense to the top thirty because so what? You put him in and he's number twenty six. Then what? <laughs> You know, only only anyone cares about the top three, and Benzema's probably going to win it anyway. Anyway, we'll go through. Uh, Actually, Carlos Lopez, who was messaging us earlier about the Anthony Taylor nonsense, uh, also said, is there any interesting conspiracy theories about the Premier League that you've heard of? (laughs) Or maybe that you even think of, that you're just sat at home and they're in your head. (laughs) Lewis, have you got one?
2: (laughs) Nothing that I'd like to brought up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's behind the paywall. (laughs) Uh, Dan?
1: (laughs) All I can really think of is this, uh, there's been some chat in recent years that, uh, like maybe City just pretend to be interested in players to kind of con United into buying them. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and w- Watching Fred and Maguire at the weekend in particular, I was like, how the hell was City ever interested in these two? Like, what were they thinking? Like it can't, it can't have been real that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the only one I could really think of. And
0: the- my only one is that this fixture supercomputer has got a bit of secret coding in it. Oh ah, yeah! Sometimes they're they're throwing things up for the for the spectacular,
2: for the it's, outrageous. It's no
1: coincidence that there's always like a big six fixture every Sunday, isn't it? And stuff like yeah. that. They, they always obviously make that and like you know there never, was the thing never
2: opening weekend or last weekend of the season. Yeah,
1: yeah. like there was the thing um, with the the in the Bundesliga the, the the Berlin derby on the first game of the season. Yeah. You would never see that in England, would you?
0: I, I was thinking yeah. that was mad. I what's even crazier is that wasn't even the big game. It was the, the half three Saturday afternoon kickoff. Yeah. In the Bundesliga. Yeah. It wasn't even its own special event. I don't know that was pretty mad. Anyway, the last bit for today's podcast is that we have uh, JB who got in touch on Twitter. Um, we were talking last Thursday, might be last Monday, Dan about that outrageous um, bets being put on and the money being offered on Erling Haaland to uh, to break Alan Shearer's record. <laughs> and JB tweeted saying that he listened to the One Football podcast the other day, and Harry Kane is now Harry Kane is now one goal closer to his friend uh, Russell's bet who in 2016, on the 26th of March, managed to get 100 to 1 on Harry Kane to score at least 260 Premier League goals in his career uh, and, and stuck 20 quid on it. <laughs> so there you go. It's going to be a little bit of a while, but he looks like he's in for a nice little bit of winnings. I did I did the research. On the 26th of March, 2016, Harry Kane had scored 43 by then. <laughs>
1: You know, I've not, I've not told this on the podcast actually, but I I have um, a friend who works for a betting company in the UK and there was a girl last season who put a bet on the Liverpool quadruple. Um, uh, and it, yeah. in, in the week before the end of the season, the, the end of the Premier League season, she was offered the chance to cash out at like 30 grand or something. I think it was worth something like 50, 60 grand maybe, or maybe even more than that, maybe a couple of hundred grand. She was offered the chance to cash out at, at sort of 30 grand or something and she, she turned it down and... Yeah, I was I was thinking about her on the final day of the season when City came back to win. <laughs> I, was...
0: <laughs> I think hope she enjoyed it. The, the the thing is with those is you've got to back it. You've got to back it yeah, if you do it in the first so. place. Yeah, mm. you're, you're gonna you're gonna go the way. Maybe who knows? Anyway, that is all from us for this week. Um, we will be back on Thursday discussing all sorts of going ons in the week not a huge amount of football this week there's going to be obviously uh, when does the draw for the Champions League Friday is it? next Friday I yeah. Believe- next Friday ok wow still got, still got a bit of time to go then uh, there will obviously think- be lots of transfer news going on this week and I think yeah you are right Lewis um, myself and Dan plus guest will be back on Thursday Uh, thank you very much for joining me lads for this week thank you very much for listening to all of you as always you can write to us um the email address is podcast.onefootball.com you've also got at football dan at matt underscore frolic and lewis's is at lg ambrose lg ambrose on twitter there you have it thanks so much and we'll see you guys next time